came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response. Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Metting. And I am Xenia Chmutina. This is Disasters Deconstructed, a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen. Thank you for tuning in. Hi, hello. Hey, Jason. Hey, how are you, Sonia? I'm good. It's been ages. Good to see you. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to Disasters Constructed live stream, and welcome to season seven. Unbelievable. How many years? It's like three years since we started. Yeah. Amazing. Feels like thirty. So, um, oh come on! <laughs> I'm not that bad. <laughs> so. Since this is like season seven and we're on a live stream, you probably figured out we're doing something different this season. So what we're going to do, and we mentioned this at the end of last season, I think, didn't we? Is yeah. to do live streams with guests every two weeks. And then after we do a live stream recording, we're gonna release the audio episodes later in the week after they get edited. So if you're watching this live and have questions, please post them, interact with the episodes, and yeah this and we're just going to see how it goes we want to do something a little bit different as many of you will have joined us for live streams before we've been doing a lot of that in the last year so we thought why not do a whole season as uh, in this format and yeah, let's know what you think yeah and it, it should be fun you know we like live stream <laughs> see how this goes but it's not just the format that is different because uh this season we want all of you to read with us so not just to listen to the episodes and you know engage but actually read with us and so for the duration of the season we are going to talk about books you may or may not have realized that jason and i really love books we love reading our biggest problem is that we have too many books and not enough shelf space in our offices in our houses but yeah that's what happens <laughs> that's... when you like join book clubs and then you get sent new books all the time and they, they accumulate right yeah. I, get, I think I get more books than I manage to read. Absolutely. And like I read a lot and even I can't get through them. But anyway, we love reading, we love books. And so this is what we're going to do this season. And so we will be meeting in the season with some of the authors of the books that we have really enjoyed this year. But most importantly, we will be exploring how reading and in particular reading outside of kind of disaster study discipline, right? And disciplinary silos in general shapes us as disaster scholars. And so we really hope that you will join us on this journey. And this season we are pairing up with the GRIP project, which is funded by GCRF in the UK and led by Maureen Fordham in the UCL. And I'm sure many of you know Maureen. And I'm also involved in the project. And we are bringing with us Camilo Buono, who will be co-curating this season and who is also involved in the project, because we want to dive really deep into critical theory and see what critical practice and praxis is needed for critical times. So it's probably about time to bring our co-curator for the season onto the screen. So welcome, Camilo. Hey, how are you? Hello. I'm very well. Yourself? Good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, for everybody watching, 
Camilla will also be joining us in the second half of the season as we discuss the different books that we're reading as a collective, as a co-host for the season. So we're really happy about this. And um, for those of you who don't know, Camilo is a professor in urban de design and critical theory at the Bartlett Development Planning Unit and also professor in architecture and urban design at the Politecnico di Torino, Italy. He's co-director of the UCL Urban Laboratory and his research is centered on the interfaces between critical theory, radical philosophy and urban design processes. He's also working on a series of interconnected research projects in Latin America, Southeast Asia, and the Middle East on urban infrastructures, habitability, and the urban project. So we're just so excited that you agreed to join us for the season and to bring your expertise to these discussions. So welcome. You're welcome. Thank you very much. I'm super happy in because you said that it's season seven. It's like being on something yeah. that is now a classic on disaster <laughs> thinking. So I'm super, super happy to be here and really thrilled and even a little bit intimidated, as you know, but it's super nice and being with you in season seven, it's super. So look forward for the conversation and the next step. So thank you very much. Amazing. It's going to be fun. Yeah, thank you. It really is. And I thought, you know, we've talked a lot and prepared a lot for this season. And those who have been following on Twitter will know we kind of put out polls to try to choose the books that we would read and everything. And before that, there was a lot of thinking just about how we would structure it and how we would kind of devise themes. So I wanted to, first of all, ask the two of you who kind of did a lot of that early thinking about the season when you were devising the plan for the season. You called it, you gave it the title, Rereading Theory as a Liberatory Practice. And so why did you give it this working title? What does liberatory practice mean to you and how can theory help with liberation struggle? Yeah. Maybe come to you, Camilla, first. To me first. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. It's, you know, I think there are two issues. The first one is the title refer directly back to one of the reading that Xenia was sort of sharing the interest with both at the present, but also in the past, which is Bell Hooks book. So I think it's referred directly to her use of the word of theory as liberation. And I think that, I mean, we, when we were discussing has probably two dimensions that we were sort of attaching to the aiming of the season. On one side is actually to think, and this is her word again, to think, and for her is critical thinking, literally, as a laboratory, as an experiment, has a way of doing that together with uh, not a prescript, if you want, uh, but also with this idea of exploring literature, but also thinking with others, which I think is probably the most interesting element of liberation. But on the other is also the liberation connected on the way we think our life. So, and she says deliberately in the opening of the, I think chapter four of the book is understanding how life works for her is a very fundamental theoretical dimension. And she says at the beginning, I came to theory because I was hurting. The pain within me was so intense that I could not go on living. I came to theory desperate, wanting to comprehend, to grasp what was happening around and within me. And I think that is probably the sort of umbrella 
thinking that liberation is, is very, so thinking theory, not as a way to explain or to justify or not to explain and justify only, but to actually grasp the possibilities, alliances, reflections, people and other forms of connection to actually think a possible way out. Now, liberation is also a big word, but in some contexts that we work with, of course, liberation means a line of fight, if you want, a way out of situations that are both emancipatory, but also more serious out of the pain of the, you know, crisis conditions where we are out and on in. So that was a sort of sort of initial reflection on understanding, but if you want, thinking with, through, and without any solution. And I think that is sort of hypothetical working through. So not looking for neither truth or solution, but, you know, aiming to, as in a laboratory, you know, in a sort of experimental manner, crafting different thinking that, and learning from the crafting of different thinking that emerge elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I really like that you mentioned truth here because this is something we see so much, right? And this is where thinking is required. It's almost kind of accepted that there is this truth and we as objective scholars, right, can find the truth and then the truth would, would lead to knowledge. But as Foucault writes, knowledge was invented, but truth was invented later still. And I think kind of thinking together, right, and turning thinking in, in, into practice allows us to perhaps develop a will, develop some kind of kind of power within us to fight in a struggle for the production of truth, right? And multiple truths, non-universal truth. I think it's also really important to say that in, in our discussions, right, when we started talking about it, I think both of us kind of acknowledge that in, in, in no way are we trying to influence people in, in a way that they should think, right? This is not what critical theory is about. You know, critical theorists are not influencers. And it's the, the idea of kind of influence per se isn't really kind of comp complementary here at all. But instead, what we want to encourage is to use and perhaps deploy, you know, and kind of evaluate a little bit more the interpretation of other people's writings and practices to pursue our own political interventions, right? And kind of our ideological interventions. So, we, you know, it is not our aim to turn everybody into activists, but to just engage in a dialogue, in a conversation that perhaps will help us think together. Something I was thinking while you were both responding to that about the why of the season and white critical was like how it connects to the our previous season when we were looking at you know different approaches to research different methodologies different philosophies and so for me i think of critical theory and the influence of you know the frankfurt school on a certain philosophy of research which influences a lot of the people that we talked to last season in the way that they approach their work right because we last season we talked a lot about you know, the kind of the tyranny of the dominant school of thought, which is positivism in the academy and critical inqu inquiry really challenges that in a way that post positivism doesn't really or interpretivism doesn't really critical theory, I think fits with a lot of the people in disaster studies who are are really challenging the foundations of society and aren't afraid to be political with their research. And so that's why it's really exciting to me to look a bit deeper into theory and 
because I think a lot of people that, that have been on the podcast before are influenced by the theory, but maybe it's not always clear why they're doing the research the way that they are, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I think kind of critical theory almost helps us to maybe demystify the kind of the illusions right that we have about disasters and kind of how disasters are created and you know they expose the consequences a bit more and we'll talk a little bit about this later on but camilo i want to ask you pretty straightforward question right before we dig deeper into sort of practice and theory i mean the word critical has really become a buzzword right all of a sudden everybody is doing critical and it almost feels like People are trying to sort of reinvent maybe disaster scholarship, right? By, by just adding critical in front of whatever it is they're doing. But what does critical actually mean? Well, this is the million dollar question that <laughs> probably we have to unfold. And I think as a disclaimer and maybe as, a, as an introduction, let's start with the fact that whenever we speak about criticality and critical theory together if you want is a very slippery territory and so we need to keep it very you know with cautious with calm and with different sets of interpretation as jason was saying when we speak about critical theory we mean a lot of things and therefore the meaning of the lot of things include the capture by populism and self-critique that is very recently brought. I mean, if you can imagine the, the, all the debate with the pandemic that we all, in a manner or another, were going through, the criticality was actually could be captured by a system that is actually not the one that you want. There are scholars that speak about critical theory, as you were saying, Jason, that are back to the Frankfurt School. So in a very specific historical moment where you know, the relationship between the knower and the researcher, that the who research and who has a theory, this little issue about the abstractness of their, the dialectic of negativity and all sorts of things that prove after the Second World War in a very peculiar European environment and therefore was very criticized to be ineffective, to be non-liberatory and so on. So there are many traditions of that. And I think there are two issues that maybe is worth to, to clarify very initially is going back to one definition that was actually done by Foucault, not speaking directly into that, but in a little, in, in one lecture that was titled, what is entitled in enlightenment and was a critique of course, at that moment of the history. And he says that. Critique is, in an essence, nothing but an assessment of an intervention into the present with the view to an altered future. So critique is actually thinking with, of course, the baggage of different epistemologies, concepts, relations, positions, tools, the present, but aiming to imagine an altered, so to, to act onto the future. So the first thing that I want to flag is this idea of theory practice to a certain extent. Whenever we speak about the critical theory, we speak about the doing, we speak about mm -hmm. praxis, we speak about very specific forms of activity. So it's not an intellectual endeavor, but it's actually really thinking on, maybe it is not a specific physical project, maybe it's not immediately something visible, but surely has practical dimension. Foucault was saying that critical theory is a sort of curious activity 
So curiosity is always the fact of being sufficiently unhappy with the present conditions and so on. And doesn't mean for a future or a truth. So to a certain extent, critique is always a question for the present, but looking at the transformation of the present. So of course, could be grounded in historical level in reflection, could be grounded in network dimension, but of course, he's looking at what we want, he's looking to the future. So the idea of adding what you were saying, the adding the critical, well, no, I'm afraid it doesn't work if there is no mechanics, of course. So the negativity, the contestation, the liberation, and so on. There's another point which I think is worth adding, which is that it's probably the specific condition where we are at in this moment of crisis, but also in the moment of specific liberalisms around where which we are. So the question of criticality remains how actually critical theory today is limited in the understanding the global capitalism and the forms of governance that are emerging from that. I mean, think about the idea of Anthropocene that, of course, has been coming through the different sessions. So, in a way, is, is it possible to think with the same category, place, uh, relationship, and knowledge that actually was constructing the, this condition? And I think that is the criticality of, is being out of the box, is being innovative, is being thinking about alternatives. So, the notion of negativity is certainly there. But there is a point which I want to go back because Jason was mentioning the original Frankfurt School, which was problematic historically, was, was critical on one side, was then to be ineffective. And, but Horkenheimer, at, in one of the very fundamental texts, uh, I think was 50, 53, says that the role and the practical ambition of critical theory is, and I'm quoting, man's emancipation from slavery. And if you connect back to that very moment of history, that was a very fundamental component. Of course, man at that very time has to be, of course, updated, right? With a different dimension. But emancipation was a central, central point. And slavery is exactly that point, which is not only the historical moment of slavery per se, but slavery for from capitalism, from control, from governance, from, and I would say now the absence of future, which is actually this idea of complex multiple crises that are affecting us. So I do believe that it's, it's you know, the mimic and the, you know, the maquillage of just adding critical is not enough. Critical is not immediately you know, a solution for being radical nor to finding a solution. So sometimes it's going back to the, you know, critical authors or individual mm. thinking or alternative thinking that help these mechanics, if you want, or tools for criticality to a certain. And of course, the self-reflexivity whenever we mm. are critical, because it's probably out of fashion, is overdue. It's, we need something more. In a way, being situated, being ingrained with specific geography, the current tradition of critical thinking, thinking is speaking about two gestures that are, to me, very central: reappraisal in the centering. The reappraisal is bringing, re-bringing criticality as a gesture at the center of the practice, whatever discipline, mm. whatever attitude, and the decentering is really going outside is thinking from outside is being situated elsewhere to be able to think 
differently, which for some is going south, for others going east, for others moving to other forms of authors, to unresolved and unoverlooked questions, but still with the idea of analyzing the present in order to transform, to think the future. So, yes, when we talk about critical, right, in particularly in, in the context of kind of disaster scholarship, we need to keep reemphasizing the what's at the heart of critical philosophy, right? And that is not just the interpretation of the world, but change it, right? How we, how we change the world. And this is where kind of critical praxis comes to play in that I feel that critical praxis doesn't really call for more reporting, right? Or for more studies. And that's what we kind of keep doing, right? We keep kind of wanting more and innovative, I used in quotation marks, but rather what we should be calling for is practices and acts that the deficit in trust maybe, right? And that kind of rebuild our shared practices in our common world. Oh yes, absolutely. It's, there are two, two dimensions to me that are central to the critical disaster studies, if you want to have as, a, as an example. It's probably the first gesture or the first thing is as many recent literature, some of our friends that has been developed is actually thinking, is resisting, if you want, the seduction or the temptation that disasters scholars knows. It's, it's about not knowing and embracing this idea of not being able to know and to calculate either risks or the vulnerabilities or all the different ingredients. And one component of being critical is actually probably to resist that calculative dimension. Now, calculative, both in the practical, you know, quantitative sense that you mentioned, reporting, you know, numerical, scientific, but also resisting the position of the expert, both at the critical level or not. I think that is, and also the status quo of the discipline. Each discipline was born in a very specific moment. And I do think the idea about transdisciplinarities, connection, hybridation, experimentation, alternative methodologies, the colonial methodologies, all these different language are going into that direction to a certain extent. So dismantling or attempting to, you know, mm. dismantle or reducing is kind of a refusal of the status quo. So a language that is purely in a feminist thinking or in the black feminist thinking literature is absolutely the idea of the node, the refusing to stand for a node, to stop a thing. But, and therefore, the other question is probably questioning what knowledge and how knowledge and whose knowledge. And I think that is peculiarly for us. And I think most of your work into the different seasons was actually, at least in the way I have interpreted and listened and was actually question who has that knowledge and what are the knowledge that is developed within the specific sets of discipline and who holds that, who holds either the truth or the actually the secret more than the truth, because I think that is, is even more perverse, which is the secrets of knowing and therefore the institution that is preserved within that and therefore opening for other forms of knowledge, no, which other people are, you know, constructing the knowledge who is entitled to speak. Mm. Right. Is entitled to speak, who is entitled to participate, who is entitled to be there, who is entitled to be part of a invited or not. I think that is an element that is quite important. Too. But the third element maybe is this idea of crisis, which I think is important. Crisis is also the not being able to think about the narratives. 
the narrative and the discourse they're framing. And I think the disaster studies is to a certain extent very complicit to a, to a, a regimes of dimensions of constructing both the narrative of the crisis, the positivity of the future. And I think some of the elements that some of the you know environment and places where we learn to think from speaks about you know failure, speaks about incompleteness, speaks about struggle at the everyday life, which are never making a project so explicitly perfect, sophisticated, well-presented, well done. And I do believe that element is super, very critical. And I think that was an original project of criticality. So to not be, you know, not be, to transgress to a certain extent. But crisis has also been a moment of a discourse that was actually, you know, preserving a possibility of the future, diverting the detraction of the future, exceptionalities, versus other forms of control, which I think all of us have been experiencing in a manner or another. So to a certain extent, he's actually thinking about what's the future we want and how we're going to live together, Hmm. which to me bring a very important intersectional dimension of. And I think that is very different from the original, you know, Frankfurt School. Today, the challenge is really to think about intersection, interspecies, intertiming. So the complexity of the different time dimension around we think you know the future or what is left to the future remain very peculiar to the present and the question would remain do we have the language that is equipped to think about that do we need other language concepts practice and reflection which i think is a very interesting challenge for for all of us Yeah, this is so interesting and i love the i think ksenia you might have been channeling pat of there and talking about like the way Freire talked about critical consciousness, you know, and connected criticality to action, you know? And so with, and I think in disaster studies, we see the word critical and maybe the word radical is, you know, thrown in to as in front of something to indicate that, you know, almost to indicate like in an elite kind of way, like that I know something here that, like you said, Camille, like a secret. And that's kind of the opposite of the way that Freire or bell hooks use criticality. So that's a really interesting insight. And I wanted to talk about this, something that comes up for us quite often, which is the accusation of being political with like the challenge to, to that position so where like we think we believe that knowledge is political and we can't escape this. But you, in, in the academy, you'll often get pushback on this, that you're too ideological or, you know, you're politicizing something that should be objective. And this is something, of course, that's been discussed a lot in critical philosophy and theory by Edward Said, Patricia Hill Collins, many others. Why do you think that we get so much pushback when we use this kind of theory to inform our work? And then how can we deal with that? How can we uh, like rebuff those kind of challenges to actually using criticality in disaster studies? Senya, what do you think? Senya, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, just <laughs> drop me there, Jason. Yeah, you're I, welcome. I, yeah, I mean, I mean you, 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 know, you know what I think. You know, to me personally, as you said, everything that we do is political. There is, there is no 
because knowledge means power, right? And everything that is connected to the power is therefore political. There is no way escaping that. We cannot say that power is objective, right? And well, I guess the queen's power, some would think is, right? G -g Given from wherever, the top, the bottom, I'm not entirely sure. But anyhow, this kind of the discussion about political is, I feel, the fear, you know, is driven by the fear of giving something up, perhaps giving up that power of the knowledge that we as experts have, right? We as academy have, and, you know, that's the ivory towels. How can we accept as academics that we perhaps do not hold all the truth, right? That we do not know everything and th there might be other knowledges out there, right? We may wish to, to embrace. And yeah, I guess th this is where the question arises, right? And this is where the pushback arises. And I'm sure Camilo uh, will tell us how to, you know, what to do about it and find the solution to this problem. <laughs> not, not at <laughs> yeah, all. No, no pressure. Absolutely. No, pressure. no, but I think there, I think is an important question to continuously being asked. And I think historically, if you, and probably disciplinary, we need to make several distinctions, no? Because not in all the historical moment when critical thinking or critical theory or, you know, this debate, being political was always an easy decision to be made. And I do believe that the political is, to a certain extent, I think, is an act of choice of refusing to be neutral. And I think that is, is something that is a struggle that each individual in each, in the different position that we are having as, you know, men, women, teachers, practitioners, fathers, you know, in the different roles that we are having is a continuous struggle. So it's never fixed, it's contingent to the conditions where we are. But refusing the neutrality is meaning to me two important things, which is taking side is, you know, sitting with uh, or deciding a position. You know, early in the 90s, the debate about disasters was centered about this idea of participation. And that in that historical moment, if you recall, or any other discourses, you know, that, that was meant to take sides. Now, of course, it was taken differently. There was moment of inefficiency of that. What I think is important also to flag out is that critical thinking not necessary is a direct or not immediately is a political action. So it's not that everybody has to be an activist. As you were saying at the beginning, everybody has to take a position to, you know, to stand, stand in solidarity, stand within and confront. But the tension between critical or critical theory and political action is not a tension of immediacy. There are mediations into it. I think that is, is an history, for example, of that comes from, you know, critical literal studies or critical theory more in the sense of literature end. And why I think that is important, because I think that the political dimension comes when you deal with three gestures of the critical thinking. One is the distinction, and the distinction is a way is a judgment, is that you decide there is a judgment of critical imply even in the etymology of the term imply a judgment a value discussion and therefore imply dividing you know good and bad you know right and wrong and so forth but there's also an element of contradictions and that is where politicality stands which is un, un, you know disclosing the contradiction within you know 
discourses and the contradiction maybe are the ones that are come from knowledge and non-knowledge, knowing and not knowing, and so on. But it's also a kind of a distance, which is a negative thinking, both in terms of impact, but also is continuously thinking the otherwise. And I think that is what makes the politics more complicated because it's a suspension of an act. In some moment of philosoph philosophical theory, the action was actually a suspension of the action in order to, to, to allow for other forms. So think about phenomenology or think about you know, the current debate about refusal of politics or even the abolition discussions that we are touching at some points of the books later on, which is actually allowing cracks into the thinking, into the regimes, into the discourse. And that was not necessarily an immediate, you know, political dimension, maybe not always, but was always, you know, creating a separation, a moment of thought where you can judge, when you can confront, and where you can stand. And I think that is what makes that position a political element, which is you stand, you are there with your body, you know, with your physicality, you're situated into a tension, in a confrontation, in a reflection. And so I believe to a certain extent that, you know, the risk on to making political and repoliticize is not to make theory just for some and not for others or something that is not needed at the moment. We need it more, actually. We need it more in order to become more political. And I think that is a struggle across many disciplines and probably political theory critical theory, critical literature in that sense are all to a certain, for the own historical trajectory, more, you know, a keep, right, rather than us, you know, us disaster studies, us architecture and planning, which are, you know, super operative and always in fronting the action. And I think that is a, you know, being political, I think is also being capable of, you know, standing and you know, allowing concepts and thinking to happen in order to stand always in solidarity. So always within that regimes. And I think that is important, but they are never a direct action. So in a way that you can label yourself a critical and therefore there is an action of, that is immediately political. I think that is something we need to be careful at least. So no solution. Oh, shame. We thought it got, you'd, you'd give us an answer to the question. Maybe by, by the time you come back, right, in the second part of the season, you'll have a solution for us. So no pressure coming. But, you know, as you were kind of talking now and so, something you referred to before, is that the idea of crisis, right? And kind of crisis and critique, they go hand in hand. And so Sayla Ben-Habib, she emphasizes that critical theory must also be a theory of crisis. And of course, you know, we of course need to kind of know that this is not a unidirectional relationship, right? And so we need to combine both perspectives to understand the relationship between critique and crisis. And perhaps we can say that we now are living in one of the most, if not the most critical periods of human history, where critical kind of is taken in its most formative etymological sense. Right, our political situation, our climate, our world, our everyday are in critical condition. And by critical, of course, here, right, we kind of we're not great to say the least. And so we are perhaps at a turning point from which we will may never recover, right? If we do not act now, when you know we should have been acting for a long time. 
So to, to use Chernyshevsky's phrase or, you know, and some attributed to Lenin, what is to be done, you know, and what is the role of scholarship, of praxis, of the community and of I, and I use I here in quotation, quotation mark, in it, what is to be done? I think it's important, again, is it one of the important questions that we can collectively probably try to be, to engage with across the different sessions that we are going to curate. That was, that was a very important moment of literature when, you know, calling for action was very important. But let me flip it in a moment at the present. For example, there is another tradition more close to the present that speaks about an idea of undoing rather than doing. And I'm referring to all this very important debate that comes from the decolonial thinking, the black radical, a certain feminism of a specific author. Maybe the question is at the moment is being able to undo certain systems rather than immediately going for action. So going back to the title probably is really to think this idea of what to do is to transfer the question is how to liberate mm. every single practice that we are engaging with. And liberation sometimes might be in relation to concepts, discourse, dimensions, institutions, with others might be with a very specific engagement with the territory, liberation from risk, liberation from other forms of slavery of different forms and sorts. So I think this idea of undoing is actually twofold, is not running into an action that sometimes is actually at the moment probably rethinking the way we could think the system. There is a word here that I think this literature and some of them is the one that we have sort of which the people, the followers have selected, is going to think about this idea of abolition. And abolition is not only referring to, you know, the very typical US-based joke, but it is moving outside that prison discourse, carceral discourse, but it is an abolition of the systems that somehow is constructing the very reality. So undoing sometimes is meaning suspending the judgments and just trying to find other voices, inviting other people to think through. So I do believe this call for action somehow is to, can be transferred into something that is maybe what is to be done is to listen. What is to be done is to finding different alliances, different category of thinking different mode of engagement, different material through which doing. So I do believe whether, of course, the, the, what you refer back to a sort of very landed version of the critical thinking is still very appropriate, but maybe has to be trans, trans, you know, trans, translated, if you want, into something that is at the very condition of. And the reason is actually what you started from to me, which is, you know, crisis is not new. But we've been living in crisis since. And we are not able to dismantle this idea of crisis. Crisis has been forcing us to exception, forcing us to do things that we didn't want to. And the discourse about crisis that we're still living with no future. So maybe we need to reshuffle a little bit the idea of, of desire, maybe. There is a Ferreira da Silva, which is another critical black scholar's 
that some you know says something that I found extremely interesting to respond to this idea of of what to do, and maybe she says something that I found super. And I'm quoting, maybe it's to ask different questions, methodological rather than ontological. So rather than on the being. So the point is not who and what we are, but is to go deeper into an investigation on how we come up with the answer. So back to the idea of undoing, maybe what to do is changing methodologies, is thinking on the way we do things. And I found that this is probably very problematic. So the what we're speaking of here, I think, and the session, the, the season actually is getting super excited because it's actually very difficult, very slippery, the territory, but very difficult because we might not be able actually to find immediate answer or what to do, but maybe we need other questions to be posed. And I know that part of the beautiness and, you know, deepness of the critical disaster studies is, has been actually to continuously question that methodology, whatever methodology. And I do believe asking the correct question today is one way to confronting with this idea of crisis, maybe the very notion of crisis too. Indeed. Like one, thi one thing, sorry, that I was thinking was about like the role of the researcher in disaster studies, the role of the scholar, the role of the person who goes into the field to, to do their research, right? And that to me is like, like your approach to that, your philosophical approach to that, very important and influential and it affects the outcome, not only of the project, but has impacts on the people that you interact with. And if we're talking about liberation, like the, we need to be really careful in the way that we engage in research, the way we engage in struggles, the way we work with oppressed people, you know, and I think we talked about this to some degree in a lot of the episodes last season about, you know, ethical ways to be a researcher. And I really, I'm excited about this season because like, as you know, we have a lot of disaster researchers and practitioners that, that listen. And I think, I think really, asking these deep questions about our philosophical approach can hopefully be transformative, you know, in the way that some people look at their own practice and, and help people to reflect. It's exciting. I'm excited just listening to this discussion today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, we've been kind of on the margins of this, right? You and I had so many conversations over the years, which kind of tried to un unpack this all. And I'm just so glad that in the season we are able to do this uh, with Camilla. I guess, you know, with what is to be done, and I'm thinking, you know, from my perspective here as an educator as well, it is very much about opening up the space for kind of critique and praxis to all voices in equal time and with equal space, right? In In other words, I guess empowering for choice of a better word, you know, I don't really like that word, but empowering those who are not heard and also mobilizing those who are not really affected by a crisis, right? Because they're in a privileged position. And it's about us as educators teaching about just societies and promoting justice, right? And kind of motivating students and creating uh, social networks that are built on solidarity. And 
you know, critical leftist values. And I really hope that we will be unpacking all of this for the remainder of the season, particularly when we start reading the books. I wish we had more time for this introduction, but we do have to wrap up. But before we finish, let me remind all of you about the books that we're going to read in the season. So as Jason mentioned already, we had polls on Twitter. So thank you all so much for making us choose the books. You know, you should have seen the kind of background discussions between Camilo, Jason and me about trying to narrow things down to four books. So we will actually be providing reading lists because we do have reading lists. Of course we do, right? We want you all to read. But the four books that we will start reading from early September are Malcolm Ferdinand's Decolonial Ecology, Thinking from the Caribbean, Max Liboran's Pollution is Colonialism, Paolo Freire's, of course, Pedagogy of Indignation. We couldn't not mention Paolo Freire in the season. We do every season. And finally, Silvia Federici's Patriarchy of the Wage. So please get the books. Please engage with us. We will be inviting different guests to talk about these books and Camilo will be leading the discussion. So yeah, thank you so much, Camilo, for joining us today. It's It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much and thank you everyone. It's again, it's very nice to be with you finally and super looking forward for um, a conversation around which we might not have any answer, but I love, I'm sure would be fantastic to engage uh, through thinking of others, which we probably need and will help us. So thank you very much. Please join our season seven that we've started today. Our next live stream will be in two weeks time. And so for now, happy reading, enjoy the reading and please follow us on Twitter or on any podcast app that you use. Thank you. Well, thank you all for being with us today. And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Disasters Decon. The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe. And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will help us to continue making content for you. You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time.